You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. Connection with our text this morning. I invite you to open your Bibles and turn first to John chapter 13. We'll read the verses 1 through 17. It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, a person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him and that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord and rightly so. For that is what I am. Now that I, your teacher, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Thus far, a reading from John 13. We'll turn further in the New Testament The words of that same Peter who told the Lord that he would never wash his feet. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 5, the verses 1 through 11. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's sufferings, and one who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not greedy for money, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Young men, in the same way, be submissive to those who are older. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, because God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kinds of sufferings. And the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you've suffered a little while, will himself restore you. And make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. Our text this morning is John chapter 13, the verses 12 through 17. 
This text has been chosen, especially in light of the fact that this morning we'll be installing office bearers, new office bearers to the offices of elder and deacon. So it's with that in mind and with in view that we hear our text this morning. So we read the word of God in John 13, beginning at verse 12. When he, that is Jesus, had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I've done for you. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, it was probably the smell, it was probably the smell that was the reason why nobody wanted the job of the foot washer. The sandals that they wore in those days were made of leather, almost exclusively made of leather. During the heat of an Israelite day in the land of Judah, Judea, province of Judea, that point of contact between the foot and the leather would become extra hot, as if it wasn't hot enough already, activating the sweat glands in the foot. A leather, being the unporous material that it is, it does not do a good job of, of getting that sweat away from that point of contact between the foot and the leather doesn't do a good job of getting away the moisture or absorbing the moisture. What it does a good job of is creating almost like a bathtub for the moisture. Where the sweat from the foot can, can sit for long hours of the hot day. Can mix with the dirt of the road and all the other microbes that get picked up. And create an excellent environment for the growth of smell-emitting bacteria. Sitting there at the table, those disciples wouldn't have been wearing their sandals, but the dirt, the bacteria, and the smell would still have been there. This was a group of men with those stinky feet who lived in a world that knew about respect, knew about rank, knew about order. This was, this was the world they were brought up in. This was the world that they lived in. You knew who was superior to you, and you knew who was under you, and you knew your place in society. You knew who was the master, who was the teacher, who was the host, and you knew who was the servant, the student, and the guest. This was their world. To, to break rank was to, to push against the very pillars of society. And to shake everything that they thought they knew about the way that people should live together. And so as their respected rabbi and master took off his coat and wrapped a towel around his waist, his students, his disciples, would have been wondering what this strange action was all about. They probably never would have seen this happening. 
as he poured water into the basin for foot washing and began to clean his disciples' feet, their confusion turned to concern. So that Peter even protested the gesture, Lord, you shall never wash my feet. But yet, when he washed his disciples' feet, Jesus performed an act of love and service for the disciples that they would have never experienced before. It was a confusing time. It was a surprising time. But in the intimacy and humility of that act, it was a beautiful, a special time as well. In that beautiful and special time in the upper room, the Lord and teacher was showing his disciples a new way, a new way of living, a new way of relating, a new way of ruling, the way of humble service. And so our theme this morning is that the Lord and teacher, Jesus Christ, washed his disciples' feet to teach them about humble service. The Lord and teacher Jesus Christ washed his disciples' feet to teach them about humble service. We'll see the significance of this foot washing. We'll go to the few verses before our text to determine what, what's the deeper, you might say, that what's the significance of this foot washing. We'll consider the example of the foot washing itself as well as finally the blessing of the foot washing. So first, the significance of this foot washing. It was... It was surprising. It was remarkable. The only story in in that ancient Jewish world, although it comes from a little later time, is a story about Abraham. Abraham was the only one that scholars have any knowledge of who was who it had been written about. Now, this was probably not historically accurate, but it was said among the Jews in those days that Abraham had washed would wash the feet of his guests that he had washed the feet of the three guests, for example, who came and visited him. But it's acknowledged there that Abraham was was showing the rank, the superiority of his guests when he did that. There's no example like this, where a teacher washes the feet of his students, of his disciples. And it's hard to think, what would be comparable to this today? What would be a comparable experience? What in our world might be like this foot washing? Is it, is it like having someone over and washing your dishes? No. Mopping your floor? No. Cleaning your bathroom, maybe? It's hard to think of a parallel for our world today between the action that Jesus did and, and, and significance as he washed the feet of his disciples. Hospitality in those days was very important. It was very important. It would have been common for the host to provide a, a basin of water for the guests to clean their feet. That's what a good host would do. If you were a more wealthy host and you had servants and slaves in your household, then they would be given that odious task of helping the guests clean their feet. In fact, from the sources, it seems that that a hired servant would be very unlikely to do this task. It was only if you had someone who was a slave, and only the very lowest household slave at that, who would ever wash the feet of the people coming in the door. If you didn't have a slave of that rank, then you would get the guests to do it themselves. 
You would never have an honored guest, you would never have a host, stoop down to clean the feet of the guests themselves. That would be unheard of. And yet, this is what Jesus did. It's what he deliberately did for his disciples. Now, what was the purpose of this? We learn from verse 1 in chapter 13 that Jesus did this to show the full extent of his love. The account of the foot washing was the demonstration of Jesus' love. But there was more behind this act as well. Because the full extent of Jesus' love was not exhausted in washing his disciples' feet. But rather, washing their feet itself points beyond to something else. It points beyond to the greatest display of love possible, as Jesus himself says later in John 15, verse 13, greater love has no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. The extent of his love, the extent of love is to wash your disciples' feet one step further is to give up your life for those friends. So Jesus, by this foot washing, the, the significance of this foot washing is his death on the cross. And that's clear from the exchange between Jesus and Peter. After Peter protests Jesus washing his feet, Jesus says, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. The reference is clear and will become even more clear after his death and resurrection. Unless Peter's sins are washed away through Jesus' sacrifice, just like dirt and grime is washed away through the foot-washing water, Peter will not share in the benefits and the blessings of eternal life. Once your feet are washed with the water, the dirt and the grime and the smell-emitting bacteria is washed away, you are clean. Once Jesus Christ dies for your sins, your sin and your guilt, and all the corruption that leads your life to stink is washed away by his blood. And you're clean. And you share in the benefits and blessings of eternal life. And so Jesus displays the kind of savior that he's going to be. This act of humiliation is pointing toward a further act of humiliation. He's going, he's stooping down low to wash his disciples' feet to show them that he's going to stoop even lower to save them from their sins. He is a self-humiliating savior. He's going to make himself nothing and die on a cross in order to cleanse his disciples before the Father. In his atoning death, Jesus displays the kind of Savior he is. And brothers and sisters, this is our Savior. This is our Savior. The self-humiliating Savior is our Savior. This is the only Savior we know. This is the only Savior that the world has. This is our Savior. This is our Lord. This is the one to whom we swear allegiance. To whom we entrust ourselves. This is the Savior and the one who has saved us and who therefore defines us. This humble, self-humiliating, foot-washing, 
cross-dying Savior is our Savior. And unless He washes us, brothers and sisters, we have no part in Him. Unless we will acknowledge the humiliation that He went through on the cross, unless we believe in Him, we will have no part in Him. The example of the foot washing depends on the significance of the foot washing. Following Jesus in sacrificial service depends on believing in the sufficiency of Christ's sacrificial service for you. We need to understand what he has done. We need to know the full extent of his love and all of its humiliation and shame. So that we can believe in him. And so that believing in him, we can follow him. Do you know what Jesus Christ has done in his death on the cross? Unless he washes you, you have no part in him. Being a Christian means believing in a self-humiliating, foot-washing, cross-dying Savior. And it means following in the example of humble service that he has set. If this is your Savior, the kind of Savior who gets down and, and cleans stinky feet and goes even further and dies on a cross, if that's your Savior, then you need to realize that that's what defines you. If this is what he does, then we also must be like him. If he is your 100% Savior, then he must be your 100% example as well. And so this is the second purpose of the foot washing. The first point was to show, to point toward his atoning death. The second is to set an example for his disciples. So we pick up the thread in verse 12, where Jesus asked, do you understand what I've done for you? In truth, his disciples won't understand until much later. He says, you call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now, these are significant words. Someone who's a rabbi was someone who was above you. Someone who was a Lord was a master, a Lord. And in fact, from the use of, from Thomas's use of this word later, we know the word means much more than just Lord as an earthly master. This is the same word that was used in the Old Testament to speak about God. You call me teacher and even Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am, Jesus says. And if the teacher and Lord is going to stoop down and wash his disciples' feet, then the disciples ought to do the same for one another. I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you, Jesus says. Now, is Jesus requiring that we will all wash each other's feet? This is what some people have claimed, believing that, in fact, Jesus is instituting a third sacrament here. It's the sacrament of baptism and Lord's Supper and foot washing, because Jesus says you need to do this for one another. But that that misses the point, in fact. It doesn't actually go deep enough. And so the, is the contention that we today should be washing each other's feet more often. 
The point isn't that we should do things that they did in those times, in those circumstances. It was necessary to wash your feet. Jesus did a task that was a regular task, a humble task, but a regular one nonetheless. The point is not the action itself, significant, surprising, and beautiful as it may be. The point is the humility that comes with that action and the love and the service with which that action is carried out. The disciples are to carry forward that same humility and love moving forward as they deal with each other and with others. These disciples, these men in this upper room are going to have an important task later. These men are going to become the pillars of the New Testament church, the ones who will lay the foundation of the one holy Catholic and apostolic church. They are going to lay the foundation. They are going to be the pillars of this church. They are going to hold positions of respect, of power, and of influence. And so Jesus is teaching them, it is imperative that you rule not according to worldly power, or status, but it is imperative that they rule according to humility, just like Jesus. If they follow that path of humility, they will be on the path that Jesus Christ is on. If they follow the path of worldly status and rule, worldly power, they will not be following the right path. Brothers, You are being ordained to the offices of the church, the offices of elder and deacon. You're going to bear office in the church of Jesus Christ. You are being vested with authority and responsibility, real authority that comes from the right hand of God himself, from Jesus Christ. With your position comes respect, Hebrews 13, and honor, 1 Timothy 5, verse 17. This is warranted because of the special place of your office and because of the respect that God demands from the church toward you. But brothers, while you are worthy of respect and honor, you will not cease to be disciples of Jesus Christ. And if you will be disciples of Jesus Christ, then your first priority must be humble, self-humiliating service for the sake of the church and for the glory of God. This means being willing and being able to put yourself in positions that that turn social structures in our world on their head. It will mean constantly humbling yourself and asking yourself, what can I do in this situation to be a servant? That's what the Lord Jesus did in that upper room. He, He showed himself, how do I be a servant in this time to show my love? This is what you must be asking yourselves. How can I be a servant to others in this time and place? It's not going to mean washing feet, probably, although it may mean that. But everything that you do must be done in conscious and deliberate service, asking yourself, how can I follow the example that the Lord has set for me? And that calling of humility extends beyond the apostles, the elders, and the deacons as well, as Jesus is the Savior of the church, so his example is an example for everyone. The church is to be characterized by loving and sincere service, first of all, 
first of all characterized by loving and sincere service. We quickly, so quickly, think in terms of, of status and rank and performance and worth. But if we truly align ourselves with Jesus Christ, then that kind of thinking has got to take a back seat. We've got to stop thinking in those categories and nurture the attitude of how can I serve others right now? How can I serve others right now? That's going to be hard. Because in a mature church, where everyone knows that you're supposed to be serving others right now, it's very easy to think, how can I have others watch me serve others right now so that they think I'm humble and I'll actually get respect for that? So it's hard to think, how can I serve others in a way that's self-humiliating and not in a way that's going to puff myself up? We need to pursue Jesus Christ, the example of service. There are two components to service. Two components to service that are important. One is that you're working as a representative. Every servant has a master. The servant doesn't act on his own. He works on behalf of his master. So we clearly serve Jesus Christ. He's our master. When we serve, we serve for him. The second component of service is the one that goes out. You serve your master, but everything you do isn't isn't exclusively for the master. But quite often, especially in the case of hospitality, you're serving your master by serving others. This is what the church is called to do. We serve for the good of others. Those disciples had dirty, stinky feet that needed washing. The servant looks to where the needs are and works to restore that which is broken or to cleanse that which is dirty or to support those who are weak or to to heal those who are sick or to comfort those who are mourning. The servant looks out to others. The servant looks for the needs and considers, how can I meet those needs? In the form for ordination that we'll be reading later this morning, this passage from John is referenced with regard to the work of the deacons. It's the deacons who are given the special task of organizing and overseeing this work of serving. The word deacon means servant. Work of serving comes from that word. As deacons, you have a place of honor and respect because you serve on behalf of the master, Jesus Christ. But as deacons, you also have the task of of seeing those needs and of meeting them. It's a task that requires great effort and humility. It requires humble service. It requires listening to the congregation. It requires listening to the community around you. It requires listening to the needs in this world and knowing where they are in order to organize relief, or to bring hope, or to offer help. When you do this, this is not just the work of the deacons, of course, right? This is the work of the congregation, the work that the deacons help to oversee and organize. When we do this, this organizing relief and bringing help and offering hope to the world, what we are doing is following the example of Jesus Christ and bringing his example to the world and to each other. Showing the full extent of his love. And also, bringing the blessing of God. It's our final point. The blessing of the foot washing. It's fascinating 
to consider this man who at one time said to Jesus, along with many other things that he said, you will not wash my feet. To consider the life of Peter. To see what he's like in the Gospels and then to to follow him after the outpouring of the Holy Spirit through the book of Acts as well as into 1 and 2 Peter. And to see the change that happens in Peter. And so let's hear from this same Peter who who didn't want Jesus to wash his feet. What he now says later, full of the Spirit as he teaches the church, particularly the elders and the young men. But the principle, of course, certainly applies to all. The wisdom that Peter passes along in 1 Peter chapter 5 is the wisdom of God. First, of course, he tells the elders to be eager to serve, not lording it over, but being examples. And he tells the young men to be submissive. And then he says, all of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. The point is clear, and we need to hear it. It's such a simple point that we're, we're prone to kind of look at everything else in this passage and not focus on this, the crux of the matter. If you're proud... If you're proud, God will oppose you. It's clear, straightforward, it's easy to grasp. If you're proud, God will oppose you. You can hold an office, you have the greatest job in the world, you can be the lowest servant in the world. If you're proud, God will oppose you. If the church is proud, God will oppose us. Now, we do not want God to oppose us, of course. So what do we need to do? Well, God gives grace to the humble. God will bless the humble. Well, we know how hard it is to be humble, don't we? How hard can that be, to be humble? Well, it's very hard. It's very hard. So how do we nurture humility? Uh, Our inclination is to be proud. That's easy. It's very hard to be humble. It's very hard to follow this example of Jesus Christ. It was very hard for him to go to the cross. It's hard to follow this example. Brings suffering. Brings rejection. Brings pain. Other people don't think you're so great when you follow this example of self-humiliation. But how do we nurture humility? By looking to Jesus Christ. Only, in fact, through looking to Jesus Christ. This is why Jesus has offered himself as our Savior and as our example. Because only through knowing him will we be able to grow in the grace and blessing of God. Only through Jesus Christ do we become truly humble and therefore grow in grace and blessing. Only the gospel of Jesus Christ can teach us true humility because only the gospel of Jesus Christ teaches us more and more to know the depths of our sins and our needs and our utter helplessness before God. The gospel of Jesus Christ says to you, you can't do it on your own. You're not good enough. You need a savior. You're all dirty and stinky. You need to be washed. The gospel of Jesus Christ teaches us how humble we actually are. How humiliating we are. 
But at the same time, this same gospel teaches us the inexhaustible depths of God's love for us. We're sinners, we're guilty, we're dirty, we're stinky, but in Jesus Christ, God loves us with an inexhaustible love. He lavishes his grace on us. He's pleased with us. He delights in us. Because in Jesus Christ, we're cleansed from our sin. We're washed from our guilt. Jesus Christ makes us humble. But we also need to be warned that there is this sort of empty humility, isn't there? Where we affirm, well, that's true, we should be humble like Jesus, and then we don't actually act like Jesus. So Jesus, therefore, says to his disciples, now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. We can't just affirm what humility looks like. We must follow the example. Following after the example of Jesus requires doing. It requires elders to actually humble themselves before the ones over whom they rule. It requires ministers to actually cast off status and rank and lovingly listen to and attend to the needs of those before them. It requires deacons to actually serve for the benefit of the congregation and the community as well. And not to just be pursuing their own agenda or, or putting in time. It requires the whole congregation, the body of Jesus Christ, to look continually at the saving power of Jesus Christ, to focus all of our attention upon Him and to commit at every moment, especially when the task is dirty and stinky, to humbly serving Christ. Beloved congregation of Jesus Christ, those whom He loves and has shown the full extent of His love, now that you know these things, You will be blessed if you do them. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.